See on the screen the kingdom-focused church. The kingdom-focused church. Now, if someone were to ask you today, where did the church come from? Where did it get started? Where did this modern-day concept of the church come from? What would you tell them? Well, you can find the institution of the New Testament church that we celebrate this morning in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, there were some 120 believers gathered in the upper room in Jerusalem, and they had been praying for a while, and all of a sudden, they were overwhelmed, overcome, even overpowered by the manifest presence of Almighty God. And as you can take it to the bank, when the power of the Holy Spirit shows up, people respond. And in Acts chapter 2, you see that 120 in verse 1, you see the Spirit of God falling and it created quite a commotion and it empowered them and emboldened them. And in that one chapter, that 120 believers grew to 3,000 converts. And it is no surprise to me that Acts chapter 2 ends with, and the Lord added to the church daily... Those who were being saved. People were being saved every day because the church, empowered by the Holy Spirit, had a passion and a power and a desire to reach people for Christ. It's a kingdom-focused church. Now, over the past couple of weeks, we have been in this series, the kingdom-focused church. We have one more after today. Two weeks ago, we began talking about exposing the kingdom-focused church. Now, I hold that thought for a second, and let me remind you that in exposing the kingdom-focused church, we found out that the kingdom-focused church had one priority, and that priority was to reach people for Christ, to fulfill the Great Commission. In that message, we also talked about that the church not just had one priority, but had one philosophy, and that philosophy was to do whatever it takes to fulfill the priority, the Great Commission of Christ, to do whatever it takes to reach people for Christ. And we also in that message talked about that the plan was to know, discern, and do the will of God in our lives, exposing the kingdom-focused church. But now once we had it exposed, last week we came back and we talked about embracing the kingdom-focused church. It is one thing to know what the kingdom-focused church is. It's another thing entirely to embrace it. And we went to Philippians and we saw Paul. And we found that there are four things that we must do as believers and as a congregation if we're going to become a kingdom-focused church. There are some things we have to forget. There are some things we have to forsake. There are some things that we have to follow. And there are some things that we're just simply going to have to faith in. Now, all of that is real well and good. But today, I believe we're on the issue that is the most critical. The most critical, if we're going to be a group of believers called Hueytown Baptist Church and we're going to be kingdom-focused, today we want to talk about the empowering of the kingdom-focused church. I think it goes without saying that everything has to have power and has to have the right kind of power and the right amount of power. Let me illustrate it this way. Let me draw you two pictures. Men, 
These two pictures may hit you more than the ladies, but ladies, I suspect if you spent any time with your man, you know what I'm talking about. Have you ever had an air conditioner that ran? I mean, it'd run like crazy. Check the sight glass. There's plenty of, uh, uh, plenty of cooling in it, but it's not doing its job. I mean, it's consuming your power. You're having to pay Alabama power, but it's just not cooling you. And then you get, and we had it here, by the way, we get, it, uh, uh, we get an electrician or we get an air conditioner man who comes out, and this is what they say. See on the screen, the kingdom-focused church. The kingdom-focused church. Now, if someone were to ask you today, where did the church come from? Where did it get started? Where did this modern-day concept of the church come from? What would you tell them? Well, you can find the institution of the New Testament church that we celebrate this morning in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, there were some 120 believers gathered in the upper room in Jerusalem, and they had been praying for a while, and all of a sudden, they were overwhelmed, overcome, even overpowered by the manifest presence of Almighty God. And as you can take it to the bank, when the power of the Holy Spirit shows up, people respond. And in Acts chapter 2, you see that 120 in verse 1, you see the Spirit of God falling and it created quite a commotion and it empowered them and emboldened them. And in that one chapter, that 120 believers grew to 3,000 converts. And it is no surprise to me that Acts chapter 2 ends with, and the Lord added to the church daily... Those who were being saved. People were being saved every day because the church, empowered by the Holy Spirit, had a passion and a power and a desire to reach people for Christ. It's a kingdom-focused church. Now, over the past couple of weeks, we have been in this series, The Kingdom-Focused Church. We have one more after today. Two weeks ago, we began talking about exposing the kingdom-focused church. Now, hold that thought for a second and let me remind you that in exposing the kingdom-focused church, we found out that the kingdom-focused church had one priority, and that priority was to reach people for Christ, to fulfill the Great Commission. In that message, we also talked about that the church not just had one priority, but had one philosophy, and that philosophy was to do whatever it takes to fulfill the priority, the Great Commission of Christ, to do whatever it takes to reach people for Christ. And we also in that message talked about that the plan was to know, discern, and do the will of God in our lives, exposing the kingdom-focused church. But now once we had it exposed, last week we came back and we talked about embracing the kingdom-focused church. It is one thing to know what the kingdom-focused church is. It's another thing entirely to embrace it. And we went to Philippians and we saw Paul. And we found that there are four things that we must do as believers and as a congregation if we're going to become a kingdom-focused church. There are some things we have to forget. There are some things we have to forsake. There are some things that we have to follow. And there are some things that we're just simply going to have to faith it. Now, all of that is real well and good. But today, I believe we're on the issue that is the most critical. 
the most critical, if we're going to be a group of believers called Hueytown Baptist Church, and we're going to be kingdom-focused, today we want to talk about the empowering of the kingdom-focused church. I think it goes without saying that everything has to have power and has to have the right kind of power and the right amount of power. Let me illustrate it this way. Let me draw you two pictures. Men, these two pictures may hit you more than the ladies, but ladies, I suspect if you spent any time with your man, you know what I'm talking about. Have you ever had an air conditioner that ran? I mean, it'd run like crazy. Check the sight glass. There's plenty uh, plenty of cooling in it, but it's not doing its job. I mean, it's consuming your power. You're having to pay Alabama power, but it's just not cooling you. And then you get, and we had it here, by the way. We get it. Uh, uh, we get an electrician, or we get an air conditioner man who comes out, and this is what they say. See on the screen the kingdom-focused church. The kingdom-focused church. Now, if someone were to ask you today, where did the church come from? Where did it get started? Where did this modern-day concept of the church come from? What would you tell them? Well, you can find the institution of the New Testament church that we celebrate this morning in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, there were some 120 believers gathered in the upper room in Jerusalem, and they had been praying for a while, and all of a sudden they were overwhelmed, overcome, even overpowered by the manifest presence of Almighty God. And as you can take it to the bank, when the power of the Holy Spirit shows up, People respond. And in Acts chapter 2, you see that 120 in verse 1, you see the Spirit of God falling and it created quite a commotion and it empowered them and emboldened them. And in that one chapter, that 120 believers grew to 3,000 converts. And it is no surprise to me that Acts chapter 2 ends with And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. People were being saved every day because the church, empowered by the Holy Spirit, had a passion and a power and a desire to reach people for Christ. It's a kingdom-focused church. Now, over the past couple of weeks, We have been in this series, The Kingdom-Focused Church. We have one more after today. Two weeks ago, we began talking about exposing the kingdom-focused church. Now, hold that thought for a second and let me remind you that in exposing the kingdom-focused church, we found out that the kingdom-focused church had one priority, and that priority was to reach people for Christ, to fulfill the Great Commission. In that message, we also talked about that the church not just had one priority, but had one philosophy, and that philosophy was to do whatever it takes to fulfill the priority, the Great Commission of Christ, to do whatever it takes to reach people for Christ. And we also in that message talked about that the plan was to know, discern, and do the will of God in our lives, exposing the kingdom-focused church. But now once we had it exposed, last week we came back and we talked about embracing the kingdom-focused church. 
It is one thing to know what the Kingdom Focus Church is. It's another thing entirely to embrace it. And we went to Philippians and we saw Paul. And we found that there are four things that we must do as believers and as a congregation if we're going to become a kingdom-focused church. There are some things we have to forget. There are some things we have to forsake. There are some things that we have to follow. And there are some things that we're just simply going to have to faith in. Now, all of that is real well and good. But today, I believe we're on the issue that is the most critical. The most critical, if we're going to be a group of believers called Hueytown Baptist Church, and we're going to be kingdom-focused, today we want to talk about the empowering of the kingdom-focused church. I think it goes without saying that everything has to have power and has to have the right kind of power and the right amount of power. Let me illustrate it this way. Let me draw you two pictures. Men, these two pictures may hit you more than the ladies, but ladies, I suspect if you spent any time with your man, you know what I'm talking about. Have you ever had an air conditioner that ran? I mean, it'd run like crazy. Check the sight glass. There's plenty uh, plenty of cooling in it, but it's not doing its job. I mean, it's consuming your power. You're having to pay Alabama power, but it's just not cooling you. And then you get, and we had it here, by the way. We get it. Uh, uh, we get an electrician, or we get an air conditioner man who comes out, and this is what they say: If it runs on three poles, maybe you got one pole out. Runs on two poles, maybe you got one pole out. Oh, it's power, but it's just not enough power. It's not the right kind of power, and so it doesn't function up to capacity. Or maybe you have gotten uh, one of those old two-cycle engines. And you have a two-cycle engine, which requires oil and gas mixture. And then you have a four-cycle, which just uh, uh, requires gasoline. And somehow you get your gas can switched. And you take that gas can that has the oil and gas mixture, and you pour it in that four-cycle engine. Now listen, in a crank, maybe. But if it cranks, it's going to smoke, it's going to spit, it's going to sputter, and it's not going to do a very good job of cutting the grass. You see, brothers and sisters, I think of those illustrations, and I believe that God, through His Son Jesus, told us He wants to empower His church to where the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I don't believe He's changed His mind. But it's a matter of getting the right empowerment When I think of what went on in the first century, I think that church had a power that the 21st century church don't know and don't understand. So the question comes to my mind, if Acts 2 is where the empowerment came, what did they do to become empowered? If you will, turn with me to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter chapter 1. Let's see what the believers of that time, what they did that released God to to come and bless them in such a powerful way. Let's stand together and read verses 9 through verses 26. And I want to say to you, 
so you'll know what's going on. Acts 1.8 should be a verse that's underlined in your Bible. That's the previous verse. That is the final recorded words of Jesus. He said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the world. Now let's pick up in verse 9. And after he had said this, he was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud received him out of their sight. While he was going, there were... They were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olive Grove, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. It's about a half mile. When they arrived, they went to the rooms upstairs where they were staying. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. All these were continually united in prayer along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. During these days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The number of people who were together was about 120, and he said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled that the Holy Spirit through the mouth of David spoke in advance about Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was one of our number and was allotted a share in this ministry. Now, this man acquired a field with his unrighteous wages. Falling headfirst, he burst open in the middle and all his insides spilled out. This became known to all the residents of Jerusalem so that in their own language, the field is called Hekadama, that is, the field of blood, for it is written in the book of Psalms, let his dwelling become desolate, let no one live in it, let someone else take his position. Therefore, from among the men who have accompanied us during the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the day beginning from the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us, from among these it is necessary that one become a witness of his resurrection. So they proposed two. Joseph, called Bersabbas, who is also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, You, Lord, know the hearts of all. Show which of these two you have chosen to take the place in this apostolic service that Judas left to go to his own place. Then they cast lots for him, and the lot fell to Matthias. So he was numbered with the 11 apostles. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray this morning that this message will open our minds and permeate our hearts to where we want the empowerment that only comes from you. In your name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now let me give you a picture of what we've just read. This 120 believers, actually they believe there might have been as many as 500 on the amount of ascension, but this 120 believers had seen Jesus literally ascend. They had seen the two angelic men, I think Luke was trying to be kind, the The people of the way were already known to be a little mystical, so instead of saying two angels stood by him, he said two men dressed in white clothes. 
They had heard them being challenged. They knew the words to go back to Jerusalem. And they went back to Jerusalem and they went to the upper room. And the history tells us that they prayed for ten days before the power came. It's my belief that verse 14 that we read offers us some real insight of how to be an empowered church. You know, God works on a conditional blessing. Now, did everybody pop their head up? Because nobody believes this. I could stand here for the next 45 minutes or an hour and take God's word, and I could show you how God works on a conditional blessing. If we meet his requirements, then he'll bless us. If we don't, he won't. If you want just one instance, it's what God told Solomon in the seventh chapter of Second Chronicles. He said, you want me to hear from heaven. You want me to forgive your sin. You want me to heal your land. Then here's what you have to do, my people. You have to humble yourselves, and you have to pray, and you have to seek my face. And if you don't, I won't. God still has expectations for you and I today. And we find them here in verse 14. I'm going to suggest to you four expectations God places on us if we are to be empowered. You'll see it on the screen. It's going to be a little on the back of your bulletin. It's a little a diagram just like that. Let's walk down together. Let's see four things from verse 14 that God expects of us. The first thing I would say to you is God expects everyone. That first word of verse 14 is what? All. It's not some, it's not a few, it's not partial, it's not part. He said all these were together. Now, you know what the truth is? God expects everyone who names his name to be a part of a body and to be in attendance. Hello? He expects us to be here. Now, there has been some bad teaching going on for a number of years because some of you are saying, well, Brother Jerry, that's not really right. Don't you know what the Bible says, that wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I'll be in the midst of it? It sure does. If you want to turn there, I'm going to read a little of it for you because it's high time that we understand God's design is not for just two or three to get together or a few to get together, but for everybody to get together. And the verse that I just quoted in Matthew 18, chapter 20, is misquoted and is out of context, and it's killing the church today. It does say, verse 20, chapter 18 of Matthew, it says, For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there among them. You're exactly right. And if you want to lift it out of context, and you know you can take the Bible and prove anything you want. You can take the Bible and prove, if you just lift it out of context, you can prove that you're not supposed to split wood. Now, we men like that. And you say, how do you do that, Brother Jerry? Well, I know where the verse says. What God has joined together, let not man put asunder. You can't split wood. It's kind of like the preacher, or kind of like the, uh, um, the preacher that was so discouraged. He went to Chairman Deacon. Chairman Deacon said, Preacher, you believe God's word? He said, Yeah. He said, Well, just go into your study and let the Bible fall open and read what God's word is to you. That's dangerous, by the way, folks. So he took and he opened, dropped his Bible open. And it says, and Judas went out and hanged himself. 
And he said, wait a minute, God, that's the wrong one. Let me do this again. So he opened it up again. And the word said, go thou and do likewise. (laughs) Be careful about that. Let's look at what Matthew 16 says. It says, in verse 15 it begins, gives you your your, uh, context. If a brother sins against you, go and rebuke him in private. If he listens to you, you won won your brother. If he won't listen to you, take one or two more with you. There's the two or three. So that by testimony of two or three witnesses, every fact may be established. If he pays no attention to you, To them, tell the church. But if he doesn't pay attention even to the church, let him be as an unbeliever and a tax collector to you. I assure you, whatever you bind on earth is already bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is already loosed in heaven. And assuredly, if two of you on earth agree about any matter that you pray for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I'm there among them. You know what it's saying? It's saying, first of all, not everything's to be handled publicly to start with. There are some things that need to be handled privately. And then if it gets public, here's what I want you to know, folks, is that when there were just two or three of you trying to handle it, I was there working with you. You see, folks, the truth is God expects everyone. If there's going to be an empowerment in the church, it's everyone. When did the Holy Spirit fall? What does it say in Acts chapter 2, verse 1? It says... And when they were all together, every one of them, it wasn't just a few. It was everyone. Why is that? Because we're a body. Because we're a body. He wants the body together. And do you know why he needs the body together? For the same reason that when you go somewhere, you want to carry every part of your body. I thought of several illustrations about how to... Maybe you go play tennis and you leave a leg at home. That's a little bit silly. But I finally figured out an illustration of this that some of you can identify with. Don't raise your hand. Can you imagine going to a fine restaurant, ordering a big steak, and leaving your teeth at home? You can gum that thing, but you can't enjoy it. You know, the truth is, when the body gets together and there are other people gone, and there are people gone, we're missing part of the body. And just as sure as those teeth would hinder you from enjoying your dinner, it hinders us from fulfilling God's purpose, God's plan, and even being empowered. God expects everyone. That means you. It gets worse, folks. These four expectations were tough as I dug them out. The second thing God expects is consistency. Ouch. Consistency. Let me get back to the scripture. All these were continually. Continually. You know what that means? That means they could count on each other. That means that that they didn't forsake the assembling of of themselves together. Now, first of all, don't get mad at me. I didn't, I didn't invent the concept of all or everyone, and I didn't invent the concept of consistency. God expects us to be faithful. He expects us to be consistent. He expects the world to be able to look at us and know that He's our Lord and that we love Him. He expects the world to be able to look at us 
and see Him in us. He expects the consistency. I don't pick on us too badly. I did a little bit last week. But I dare say, I have just nailed our congregation. Truth is, is that uh, there sits Wendell. There sits, what's your name, Avis? There sits Charlie. There sits Neil. There sits Eddie. Now, Bob's not here today. The pastor search committee. Now, you guys call me a liar. Just stand up and correct me. One of the things they say is, Brother Jerry, one of the things we've got to do is get a little more consistent. We start things and don't get them done. We, we start out like a house of fire, and then we're two weeks down the road. We're not there anymore. You know why that is? I think I found the secret in one of Charles Stanley's book, The Most Wonderful Spirit-Filled, the Most Wonderful Spirit-Filled Life. And this is what Dr. Charles Stanley says. He says, there's nothing so frustrating as seeing people come week after week and listen and even write down all that's being taught them and then it never affect their life. He says, we are note rich and application poor. And the result is, there's not much difference between us and our non-believing friends. It's an issue of being consistent. Now you're saying, Brother Jerry, between the all and the consistent, are you saying I'm supposed to be here every time? Yes. Are you saying there's not any time that I ever should miss? Well, no. But here's what I'll tell you. There are times that some of us, we can't be here. It's health. Some of us are at the stage of life where our health just won't let us get out. There are some times when some of us have to work. There are some times that we're on vacation. I don't think when you go on vacation, you ought to leave God out. Wherever you are, you ought to find a church and worship with the body. But here's what I'll, here's what I'll put to you guys. You don't have to answer to me. You have to answer to God. My question is, those, quote, your list of reasons for being inconsistent, Think about your list of reasons for being inconsistent. Compare them to God's list of excuses. Or compare them to God's list of reasons. Oh, Lord, you don't understand. I, Sunday was the only morning that I had to sleep in. Sunday, Sunday was the only morning that I could see Joe. Hello? Can I go on? You get the idea. You see, the truth is, if God's going to empower the church, he's going to empower us because we're consistent. And because we're together, which brings us to the third thing that you see here. God not only, not only expects everyone, now you can fill that blank in like you want to. And God expects consistency, but number three, God expects unity. All these were continually united. Oh. I wrote this down in my study. I was praying through it, and I said, Lord, you don't really want me to get up and say that in a Baptist church. 
I mean, don't you know that Baptist churches are notorious? I mean, if you have 10 Baptists together, you've got 12 opinions. I mean, I mean, isn't it known today by the community that churches are simply not united? Do you know how important this issue of being united was to Jesus? We all think that the, uh, mo- that the model prayer, our Father who art in heaven, is the Lord's Prayer. It's really not the Lord's Prayer. We find the Lord's Prayer in John 17. Jesus was in the face of the cross. 24 hours, less than 24 hours, he would be dead. And then he went to the Father in the garden. And you know one of the things that he prayed for? He said, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you, to you Holy Father. Protect them by your name so that you have given me Protect them by the name that you, that you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. That's one time. Verse 21, may they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. May they also be one in us so the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory you have given me, and may they be one as we are one, I and them, and you and me, and may they be completely one so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved me as I have loved you. Look, folks, it was on Jesus' heart that we be in unity. And contrary to popular opinion, it's not talking about a unity of philosophy. It's talking about a unity of heart. It's talking about a unity of love for God. It's about a unity of being kingdom-focused, empowered by Him, walking in the Spirit, living in the Spirit. I never cease to be amazed of the number of people who walk for themselves and try to control God's church. You see, God has a plan. And if we're going to be empowered, He's not going to empower disharmony and disunity. It's just not going to happen. In fact, if you look in verse 1 of chapter 2, it says that when they were all together, O King James says, in one accord. You see, God calls us to be in unity. Now, you know, churches are known for different things. Churches are known for different things. This church is known to be the contemporary church, the praise and worship church. This church is known to be the church for old people. This church is known to be the church for young people. This church is known to be, it's dying. This church is living in the past. This church is the money church. My question is, what is Hueytown known for? Oh, I would to God that we be known for our unity, that we believe the great commandment and we love the Lord God with all our heart, soul, mind, strength, and that we love our neighbors as ourselves. And if we love our neighbors as ourselves, can we sit by quietly 
why our community, why our culture eats up our teenagers and couples. If we really love our neighbors as ourselves, will we not go the extra mile? Will we not change our schedule? Will we not change our priorities? Will we not change the things that we do to get on board of what God is up to? It comes out of a heart of unity. And that unity is born with the fourth expectation God gives us in prayer. God expects prayer. In fact, the scripture that we've read this morning said they were all of these were continually united in prayer. May I submit to you that the true unity will come through prayer. My heart's encouraged. And Miss Alice will tell you I need a little encouragement. My heart was encouraged this morning. During our prayer time from eight thirty to nine, we saw almost two dozen people come through here at some point. And just spend a few moments with the Lord in prayer before they began their day. I was encouraged when we called to the altar and people came and prayed. For you see, every movement of God throughout history began in prayer. When I see when I see this book, I'm reminded of those old words a generation almost a generation ago. Preacher said first chapter of Acts, second chapter of Acts, they prayed for ten days. Preacher Pete preacher preached for Ten minutes, and 3,000 people got saved. Today, and that was back then, we pray for 10 minutes, preach for 10 days, and wonder why nothing happens. Today, we pray for a few minutes, we preach for 40 minutes, and wonder why the altars are dry and empty. I wonder why we can't feel God. I don't know about you, but my heart's desire is to see God do it again. It's to feel and sense the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit in this place. To let God come in and fill this building and build, fill our hearts. Ever wonder why? I mean, you remember the times when God has fell in a building and in your place, and you could just sense Him, you could feel it. Empowerment. You know, have you ever thought about why it doesn't stay like that? I read this story, kind of funny, but makes the point. City man, city slicker, as we called him. The rural country of Mississippi. A city slicker moved to the country, bought a farm, bought a milk cow. And uh, uh, he had been out there for about a month, and he went to the guy where he's buying his feed for the milk cow, and he said, My cow's dried up. And the man said, Are you treating her right? He said, I'm trying to treat her just like you tell me to. He said, You're feeding her, feeding her everything that you tell me to every day. 
He said, are you milking her every day? And he said, well, most days. He said, if I need a glass of milk, instead of, I let her save up. And I just get what I need. Now, only people are laughing are people that's had their hand around uh, a cow's, uh, can I say that, a cow's? I can't say that? Okay, I didn't say that. Who has milked a cow? The people who know that you have to milk that cow every day. You know why? Because if you don't use all that's there, what's there will go away. And you know what the truth is? That's exactly the way with God's power and presence. Sometimes we decide that we want to just take what we want. And yet God gives it all to us. And he gives it to us. He begins in prayer. Expectations. God expects everyone. He expects us to be consistent. He expects us to be united. And he expects us to be a praying people. Interesting thing about prayer. It works for wherever you are in your life this morning. For instance, if you've never come to faith in Christ Jesus, if you died right now, you cannot say, I would go to heaven. Because you've never invited him into your life. In just a moment... We're going to stand and sing, and when we do, Brother Jason's going to be here, Brother Terry's going to be here, I'll be here. And we'll be here to help you know how you can know, how you can invite Christ in your life and know that you have a home in heaven. But for some of us, we're praying about our church membership. There are many in this building who have been visited for a while, and God has spoken to you clearly. You need to make that a matter of prayer. If he tells you to come, you need to respond so he can empower your life. He'll never bless disobedience. For some of us who are members here, we have literally been disobedient because we've been inconsistent. We've been fractious. We've been not a part of the everyone crowd. And some of us need to get on our knees before God today and ask him to forgive us. The altars will be open. Here's what I'll tell you. Just as sure as if my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, just as sure as then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin and heal their land. If we want God's empowerment on a kingdom-focused church, it'll be because everyone gets consistent and united and meets God in prayer. What's your decision today? Pray with me.